you talked about the end of the world, like we've, we've all been like grooving on the end of the world. And then we kind of hit a pandemic when in a way the, the world is ending as we've known it. Yeah. Um, I did have a, so anyway, I want, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about listening to that conversation. From Portland, Oregon, I'm Joshua Kingsley. This is Practice Makes Perfect, exposing clergy stories of faith in action. On this episode, we talked to Melissa Reed over Zoom while under Oregon's stay-at-home order. Until recently, Melissa was the pastor of Salt and Light Lutheran Church, a Lutheran church based in contemplative organizing practices. She is currently serving as the Bishop's Associate for Vital Leadership and Sacramental Organizing. We're all learning together. If I can come from a curious place about it, then I'm like, there's something for me to learn in this interaction or in this, um, about how I can show up better. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think about that particularly when we're talking about dynamics of, um, of privilege and oppression and, and um, marginal, like how we engage in the world with one another as privileged, as people who are privileged and marginalized in, in various ways to different acuities. Right. Mm -hmm. And so being a leader and a public leader, like you, you will fail, like you will fail people. Um, You will hurt and you will hurt people in the process. Even that's not, even though that's not the intent, it's the impact. Right. And so, and you have to learn and you have to like, can be learning from that place. I think I, that's when I'm in my best place, when I'm in, not in a good place, like when I'm not grounded, mm-hmm. I go, I mean, I, and I'm probably always, because it's like my default setting, it's like to go to a place of shame, like I'm a miserable person and I shouldn't, or go to a place of anger and like, like you know, as Brene Brown says, armor up, you know, like you're just like, I'm not going in the arena again. Like I didn't have to go in that arena, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's, um, but that's, so that's off. I think there's an initial reaction of that, but there, but if I can move to a more grounded place, it's like, nope, I do like, I inherently belong. <laughs> My worthiness is not based on how good I am and I have so much to learn. And ultimately I'm here cause I want things to be better. So how do I learn to become better? And I can't make everybody happy in the, and I won't, I won't always meet everybody's expectations. And that's not the point. The point is to learn and to, and to get better. Um, so the work gets better. Yeah. But those are hard moments and learn, you know, learnings. Um, and then sometimes you put yourself out there and you get criticized and it's kind of bullshit. It's, you know, um, I'm noticing a pattern of like, when I put myself out there in, in a group, a large group, I can just like count the moments before somebody's gonna, like, it's possible somebody's gonna try to undercut what I'm doing, like publicly, you know? And that's just part of being a leader is like, you don't get to, you don't get to um, control how everybody else's day is going or how in control of their lives they are. 
Um, and so you're going to like, shit's just going to hit you in the face. Um, other people's stuff is going to come out and it's going to get you. And again, it's like, is there something for me to learn from this? Often there still is, there might even still be something, even if it was like their stuff, you know, and I don't have to, but I don't have to take on your stuff. So I'm, I'm so used to working in spaces until now where I've spent the time building the relationships with people and then convening, calling people together or being part of a group that calls people together. So there's trust built there where now I'm stepping in spaces where there's, I haven't been had the space and time to cultivate. I'm there because I I'm a, have a role and like, um, and I will take, I'm trying to take the time to get to know people, but I'm going to have to lead before I have all the relationships. Right. And so um, it's just, and now I'm having to do it over zoom <laughs> where I don't even get to like feel the energy flow of the room, which is like my superpower. So it's just, it's, it's hard and it's, it's good learning of how you like learn to trust yourself as a leader, trust your inherent goodness, trust your wisdom that you have, like practice grounding yourself in your own belovedness um, and inherent belonging so that you can approach people with curiosity and generosity. Um, and you can call people out on the bullshit that they fling at you, but not in a way that's like mean it, but in a clear, direct way. We've put together these shows. Um, yeah, each, each, we each kind of, I hear each of us kind of striking that balance and also uh, admire the really clear dedication and purpose with which everybody goes about Mm -hmm. their work. Mm -hmm. It's a really beautiful thing. That's not experienced everywhere. It feels super privileged. I mean, in the sense that I get to do what I love. Yeah. And... I get to do what I love because I love. Mm-hmm. I get to love the world in strategic and creative ways with others I love. Who gets to do that, Josh? I know. That's, that's really well put. That's really well put. What stops more of our colleagues do you think from doing that or do you feel like do you look around and see you know when you show up to whatever x y or z regional meeting mhm i think there's two things i think a lot of our colleagues actually love what they do mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis or it's or at least it's what they want to do mm-hmm. i don't know if they love it or not all of them but it's how they want their lives on some level, because that's the way they've made it. For choosing, you know? yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, our, the world is not organized, and we're not taught that what I just said is like an option. You know, like that's not, or if it is, that's who gets to do that, you know? And I think that is a, it's a privileged existence to get to do that on some level. Um, 
So, but that you could connect your head and your heart and your, that, your, that God could breathe through your whole life. Um, of, um, and I don't want to say vision, but that God could breathe life through your whole life. It's not how we're like <laughs> taught yeah. in in the world or even the church often about how we in that very holistic way mm-hmm. uh, about how to think about one's own life. I think we're taught um, we go and do acts of service, and therefore and those are the moments that we get to love the world. Do you know what I mean? Or we're taught um, rather than like. No, like every, I mean, this is very Lutheran. Uh, Maybe it's other things too, but Luther's understanding of vocation was like anywhere you have relationship is God is present and therefore there is a call and that, so we have like many vocations. So our Mm -hmm. life, our whole life is fraught with vocation. So being a pastor is just one vocation amongst many and there's no hierarchy to it. And so any relationship I have, there's a call there. And I do think that that influences how I understand my life um, and understand the potential and possibility for what is when, when, um, oh man, when you start to really attend to those relationships and the power that could be present yeah. in them. I mean, are you talking about harnessing the power of relationships? Absolutely. Or, and harnessing the power of relationships and harnessing the power of one's own life, like one's oh. own existence, which is relationship. Yeah. Like there's no part of our life that is not connected to others' lives, right? So mm-hmm. ultimately, yeah, it's about harnessing one's own life, but then that's about harnessing the power of relationship like a stoic might say we are we are ourselves like just a bundle of relationships Mm -hmm. you know relationships of atoms and molecules that have come together Mm -hmm. in this way um Mm -hmm. and that just kind of keeps going on an order of magnitude and attending to one part of it is attending to all of it Mm -hmm. in some way Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I think it, I mean, I think that's my experience of life. Yeah. How do you, what do you do to make sure that you protect time to do that grounding as a, as a parent and what would we call you an executive? I think that'd be fair. (laughs) That's a funny word. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, um, I actually, this pandemic time is a, an invitation for some slowness in my life. I feel like from nine to five, I am, things are moving at a breakneck pace, but before nine o'clock and after five, especially um, that I still do have some evening meetings, but there's few, it feels like there's fewer of them because people can do more during the day. 
so I yeah. can get more done during the day. Um, I There's a, a sweet slowness to our family's life where the kids don't have to get rushed off to school, which PS started at 8 a.m. and was just too damn early for everyone. And so instead we like snuggle and then I like do a, I've been doing, um, Sylvia Borstein, who's a Jewish Buddhist, did a uh, on being piece and she led a loving kindness meditation. And I like ever since pandemic, like literally like the weekend, I was like, oh, oh, here we are. Like this is really happening. I, I started doing this, listening to her every morning and like, so I practice loving kindness with myself and like those I love and my neighbors and the world. And so it's helping me feel connected and grounded and live into that truth that is inherent um, in the mornings. And sometimes I've even done it. I'd taken a walk and ended up in the park that's between your house and my house. And it's got this big grove of trees, you know, and I'll just like stand in the middle of the trees with my earbuds in, having Sylvia talk to me in her New York accent. Oh, I love it. Um, and, uh, and just feel like the wind kind of take that, those blessings, you know? Um, yeah. And I, it starts with blessing, loving kindness meditation starts with blessing yourself which I think is super important. Yeah. Maybe the Christian tradition like misses sometimes. Like you have to bless yourself first, right? Uh, or you were like, if, or you're, or how, what, where is that place that you're blessing from others? You know? Absolutely. What's your motivation? So that has been really great. And going for these long, cause walking, there's something about how my body gets put back together and my brain and my heart gets put back together through movement. So walking and dancing. And so I miss dancing with other people, but like do have lots of kitchen dance parties yeah. always. I don't know why the kitchen, maybe cause I spend a lot of time there when I'm like not working. It's like where I go. It's cause like, people need to eat in the house. It's you know? the hub. Absolutely. And it needs to be cleaned constantly cause there's so many dishes. Yes. So so yeah, so there's something about uh, physical embodiment that I puts me back together spiritually, physically, which I don't most do things are for it for anyone, I don't think, but I, I think particularly for me. Yeah. So a lot of my work like wounding and well, there's some I have some wounding in my life around body. So uh, things that are it's just so embodied spirituality is really important for me. So those are some things, and I have a little post-it note that I wrote uh, once that was like, um, "You are worthy. No need to hustle today," and that's a really important, like, grounding message for my life. Um, and I try to keep, like, I can, like, just stop and, like, say the post, you know, little mantra post-it note to myself. And I'm writing it down. Yeah. That's how much I like it. <laughs> well, you and I might need some of the same mantras, Josh, from what I know about us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You are worthy. You, you already belong. Um, no need to hustle today. 
has working for the synod shaped or changed your Lutheran identity at all? Hmm. I don't think so. I'm a womb Lutheran. Oh, that's, that's right. I was born in seminary. Um, in Göttingen, Germany, in a stift where my parents were studying theology. Um, I think that discovering the power that dwells even in my own woundedness and the space between our shared woundedness is what has changed my sense of Lutheran identity um, or just that it has affirmed that the tradition that I was raised in is the addition uh, is the tradition that courses like through my life and not alone right like in relationship with many traditions and wisdoms and and as my colleague would say Juan Carlos would say like compañeros like the the um the the wisdom that is flowing with those I walk with and who who has accompanied them the traditions and the the, the people that are part of those traditions that have accompanied them so but there's a there's a um there's a lot of um, state screwed up things that are attached to the Lutheran, that Lutheran conversation and things that I've like needed to leave behind. But there's, there's some central pieces that are still um, like truth that I abide in and that continues to have meaning and, and make, I can make new meaning with like that I can be in conversation with and it new meaning arises. So working for the the synod is it's just like i don't know it's like it's just like discovering my family members again mm -hmm. like long lost uncles and aunts i didn't even know i had but i knew were out there you know yeah um it's this is my this is my family these are my people on some level, um, for better or for worse, you know, yeah. everybody, everybody loves, I mean, there's, uh, our families are both healing and toxic. <laughs> totally. And probably say a lot about who we are. Yeah, totally. You know. Yeah. How many people, like when I think about salt and light, mm -hmm. um, and I think about like how how would you say uh, like a person going to salt and light understands their would might understand their Lutheran identity? I've never I've never been able to be there on a Sunday morning, and so I I you know I know about the Levin community. I feel like in a way that I could describe it to somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never been able to actually see salt and light, but I know a lot of people from like, you know, 
Methodist pastors go there and like just all these different, it's sort of this like Your United partner has come nations. to church. Yeah, my, my partner and my kid have come to church. Um, so yeah. yeah, how do you, how do those like sit together? How do you describe them together? I think most people still identify on some level with the identity that they were raised in, like of what they, um, and where came to at a pivotal moment in their life. And then they walk in, they're looking for community usually and a space to wit in which that like we're in which to belong and to, um, to explore and share uh, belonging with others. And so I think that most people, if you said, and because story is so important in that community, so like, are you Lutheran? They'd be like, well, I don't know. And my job was not to beat a Lutheran identity into them. Um, the point was to be faithful together. And so, and the point was that we were, we, all of our stories are a part of the story. And so bring your story and your wisdom into the mix and we're going to be like better for it, you know? Um, and luckily Lutherans, I mean, Lutheran theology has a lot of space for that because ultimately it's about like you're beloved like right, right. like now what you right. know so i i think um most people i think we most people say like i go to a lutheran church or like yeah my church is the i belong to is lutheran my pastor's lutheran <laughs> you know um and if you ask them what that meant they would tell you like the the values of the community and they'd be like i guess that's lutheran you know um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that Lutheran identity was something I was seeking to like propagate and I, I don't know. And that wasn't the outcome, you know, where yeah. people would go move away and try to go looking for another Lutheran church. Cause they were like, oh, well I, that, and it, it, it sometimes went okay and often didn't you know, just anyway. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, um, and that was kind of my question too, of like when, when something unique within the tradition expresses itself. Um, yeah, it's always interesting to me to think about and see how it kind of still interacts with like being Lutheran and doing the Lutheran things and showing up to synod and keeping track of like, I mean, obviously there's people who make their entire careers off of like keeping track of what resolutions are being offered up at synod and like writing them and, you know, God bless those people. Absolutely. Time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Or that in the same way. I mean, like, let's make a put together a resolution when something needs to happen for sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not going to be my bag. Right, right, right. Um, and we do need systems and structures to hold us together. I mean, that's just like what we do as humans, right? We need sure. some organization. So, 
certainly is a lot nicer or it can yeah, be it can be it can um, be useful too and if folks like have a general stuff that they have in common, it totally makes sense for them to get together. You know, if they're liking to sing the same hymns or they like to hear the same theological outlook, then, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we, we need affinity. Yeah. We need to be affirmed. I hope we can also challenge, and out of that trust, challenge one another. What was it like when you knew it was time for you to go? Oh, it was so hard. (laughs) And I didn't know it was time to go until, I don't know, a few weeks after Bishop Lori asked me to consider it. Okay. And it took me like six weeks to make a decision, which it's kind of unheard of, I think. (sighs) I think you usually get asked to do those sorts of things and you either say yes or no, you know, and she needed me to, um, she needed me to say yes, you know, so she could move on if not, or no, if she could move on, you know, and ask somebody else. Um, so, but she was really super gracious. Because it was a really hard decision because it was not on my radar at all. And the more I, I was, the more I sat with it, I knew that and a yes was emerging. It was even, this was really, it was really powerful confirmation because I was like, I have no reason to leave. Yeah. Like I have, I have actually a plan about how we continue to move forward, how we grow, how I continue my my work continues to change over time and that's important for like the kind of person I am I need to continually be learning and so I'd keep pivoting and making more room and we call or hire new people and expand the team and um how it could go and so as my yes emerged I was like oh crap because I knew it was actually, I had, it was like, I think this is an actual call because I don't have a reason to leave. I'm not running away from anything. Okay. That sounds really good. I appreciate that window into your process and how, you know, those kinds of difficult decisions uh, maybe sometimes emerge when they're allowed to. Yeah. 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 And I had good people around me. I called, I was really intentional about it. I called together some really close colleagues, friends, colleague friends, and my spiritual, in my spiritual director's backyard. And I knew at that point, I'd had a lot of conversations one-to-one, but at that point I was sure, pretty sure I was going to say yes, but I wasn't sure about the how, like how to leave. Yeah. As you know, my work is like multi-layered in terms of like congregational life and then this organization and it's a scope. And I wasn't sure exactly how to do that gracefully or well. And I called them together and that was the question that was like the how. And they asked such good questions. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, I ended up knowing I needed to just go. Like 
I wasn't going to drag it out or various ways. I mean, I'm still working with the housing coalition. It's like my time is donated there, but like, I'm no longer the executive. It's just around that project. Yeah. Um, I'm not the executive director of Levin anymore. Um, and I, it really, they just, oh, it does, it's such, such, it's so sweet to have people that love you so much to ask the hard questions with you and of you and not just try to like blow smoke up your ass or, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, totally. and, they're just, and also just super wise people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like we have to have them. We do, Josh. Yeah. We do. And we have some good ones among us. Yeah, we really do. Oh my gosh. The best. It, for real. For real. <laughs> right? It's it's a it's a it's a ridiculous resource. Oh I'm like, how did I get here with these people? I just mm-hmm. that's my like refrain in my life. How do you hear with these people? Yeah. Which is making COVID times really hard because I miss it. Like we still all work to, I'm still working with folks. It's just I don't get to see people and be with people in the same way. And I just mm-hmm. miss my pe I miss me. I miss my friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, friends. I'll talk to you right. soon. Okay. Right. Bye. Bye.